guys, welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be part two of my ADHD versus autism series. I kickstarted this series last week when I uploaded the first part of my ADHD versus autism video where I kind of go into what my life was like pre-diagnosis and some of the things that made it hard to have undiagnosed and untreated neurodivergency. And I kind of go into why it's important to get diagnosed. So if you guys haven't yet, go watch that video and continue learning about me and learning about yourself and neurodivergency with that video into this video. In today's video, which is the second part, I'm going to go into my ADHD traits, my autistic traits, and go over the differences and the overlapping characteristics. I think this is super important a lot of the times because there is overlapping symptoms. People will have a hard time making discernment as to whether or not they may have either or one of these disorders and it's important to have a good idea of what you may have because when you do go in for assessment just think about it like pasta being poured into a strainer a lot of that liquid is going to fall through those holes and it's just better to have an airtight container so that everything can remain within that bowl as you would want it sorry that metaphor was a little bit weird but hopefully that makes sense to you guys i like to think in metaphors i think that's part of my neurodivergency so if you guys haven't noticed yet, probably throughout a lot of my videos, every time I'm trying to explain a concept, I explain it through a metaphor, more specifically a visual metaphor. And I'm sure a lot of you guys would appreciate that. I thought about this for a while, like how can I list off my different traits and go over the coinciding and the differences. And I think how I'm going to go about it is that I'm going to read off my ADHD symptoms that I wrote down before I went in to get assessed for my ADHD because I think it's going to be really interesting. This is before I knew I had ADHD or autism. So I think it's going to be interesting to go down the list and go over the specific traits that at the time I thought were just ADHD traits. But now with all of my knowledge, I can go in in detail and explain how this specific trait is ADHD and autism or just purely ADHD or just purely autism. So I hope that all makes sense for you guys. And with that being said, let's get into today's video. All right, so when I'm talking about symptoms of ADHD, I think about it in four different categories where it's ADHD and autism, and that is your sensory experience, your social experience, that is your executive dysfunction, and it is also your focus. These are a lot of the categories in which the neurodivergent symptoms fall under. I think it'll be really, really helpful for me to quickly go over some information about ADHD that I will also put up for you guys as I read it off. Adult Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, is a mental health disorder that includes a combination of persistent problems, such as difficulty paying attention, hyperactivity, and impulsive behavior. Adult ADHD can lead to unstable relationships, poor work or school performance, low self-esteem, and other problems. Right when I read that sentence, it already brings me back to some of the BPD symptoms, which you could watch here. I did a video comparing and contrasting BPD and autism. And a lot of the times, medical professionals will misdiagnose people with BPD because of this trait right here, the unstable relationships, 
poor work or school performance, low self-esteem and other problems. As you can see, this is also an ADHD trait. So this is why it's so important to really educate yourself on all these disorders and pay attention to yourself and see which one you really, really resonate with because there are overlapping symptoms. Continuing, though it's called adult ADHD, symptoms start in early childhood and continue into adulthood. In some cases, ADHD is not recognized or diagnosed until the person is an adult. True, especially in my case. Adult ADHD symptoms may not be as clear as ADHD symptoms in children. In adults, hyperactivity may decrease, but struggles with impulsiveness, restlessness, and difficulty paying attention may continue. So that part I feel like is a little bit ignorant because I don't think the ADHD symptom decreases. I, I genuinely think that as you grow into adulthood, you learn how to mask more. So I don't like this idea that like ADHD is something you can overcome and leave behind. A lot of neurodivergent people still live with those symptoms and still struggles the same amount. It's just over time and as we age, we learn how to mask it more. We learn how to cope with it more, sometimes not in a good way, sometimes in a good way, sometimes somewhere in the middle where the way we cope with it is beneficial, but it also affects our mental health and, and other aspects of our life. So I really want to emphasize that I really disagree with this statement that says that ADHD symptoms may start to decrease when you become an adult as you were when you were a child, because obviously when you're a child, you're a new soul, you're a new human. There's a lot of things you don't know how to do regardless of neurodivergency. And in that sense, you really get a pure idea of a person in childhood because they have yet to learn all of these, you know, different masks and ways of doing things and you get a really authentic person. This is also why I think it's so important to talk about adult neurodivergency, adult ADHD, adult autism, because we do learn how to mask a lot of the times as we age. And so our neurodivergency is not as obvious as we're older. And sometimes we get to a point where we're masking so naturally and so on cue that we become numb and blind to our own masks because we see it as our actual selves. So it takes watching videos like this and educating yourself to really take a step back from those masks and, and be able to start to see the patterns of what are those neurodivergent traits that you have been hiding and masking for many, many years. Begin to see that some masks could be authentic aspects of yourself, but it's, it's the idea that you have to mask in the first place and that you had to learn how to mask in the first place and that you had to learn how to operate and be a specific type of person that's not natural to you, but you had to learn to be that person to fit into society more easily and to function as an adult more easily in society. Treatment for adult ADHD is similar to treatment for childhood ADHD. Adult ADHD treatment includes medication, psychological counseling, psychotherapy, and treatment for any mental health conditions that occur along with ADHD. So like I said in my first video, there's a lot of mental health disorders that coincide and is comorbid with ADHD and neurodivergency, such as depression, OCD, anxiety, things like that. So symptoms. Some people with ADHD have fewer symptoms as they age. Don't agree with that. But some adults continue to have major symptoms that interfere with daily functioning. In adults, the main features of ADHD may include difficulty paying attention, impulsiveness, and restlessness. 
Symptoms can range from mild to severe. I agree. It's a spectrum. I've met people with severe, severe ADHD where they can't really do much in their life. There's not much organization because their executive dysfunction is so bad. And I've met people that were very high functioning individuals with ADHD where you would not know they have ADHD because they learn how to mask really well. They learn how to, it's like a well-oiled machine. They know how to keep everything and all the gears rolling. And, you know, not saying that it's easy for them. I do think that that also comes at a cost, but it's the fact that they could pass to other people as a normal functioning adult that doesn't necessarily have neurodivergency. Adult ADHD symptoms may include impulsiveness, disorganization, and problems prioritizing, executive dysfunction, poor time management skills, problems focusing on a task, trouble multitasking, excessive activity or restlessness, poor planning, low frustration tolerance, frequent mood swings, problems following through, completing tasks, hot temper, trouble coping with stress. So as you can see, there's there's like emotional dysregulation, executive dysfunction. I think it's the emotional dysregulation part of ADHD that sometimes medical professionals see as BPD, especially within women. So I personally have come across that when I was seeking my diagnosis. The first person that evaluated me for ADHD actually tried to diagnose me with borderline, which I strongly did not agree with that diagnosis so I sought out a second opinion from a psychiatrist who specialized in treating ADHD and she's the one who diagnosed me with the ADHD. I think there's some of these symptoms on the list that doesn't have much nuance to it but I think I'll get to that when I go over my symptoms. Yes I think that's enough background information on ADHD. Let's move on to my symptoms and go over the similarities and differences between my ADHD traits and my autistic traits. All right so if you guys haven't already seen I wrote down a bunch of my symptoms prior to getting evaluated for my ADHD. At this time a little background I was 25 years old. I was like a year into COVID and I was highly suspecting that I was a neurodivergent individual and I wanted to get diagnosed and treated for it. And so at this time, I very much so hyper-focused on ADHD. I did hours and hours and hours of research. I spent hours reflecting, journaling, writing down these ADHD traits that I believed I had and I do have. And I even color-coded it. Like every specific category is a different color. That is a part of my neurodivergency is that colors have a meaning to it and a feeling to it. It's not just a color. And so when I look through my list of symptoms and I see the different colors, how everything highlighted in orange means a specific thing, everything highlighted in pink is a specific thing, that is a part of how I like to think and visualize things. A lot of the times my thoughts are not just thoughts. It's not like words that I think in my head. It's like a visual picture. And I know that not everyone thinks in this type of way. I've even seen on TikTok that some people don't even have like an ongoing dialogue in their head. And that is like a neurodivergent trait. But I'm constantly thinking in my head. And when I think in my head, I hear a voice, but I also see like pictures, like a visualization of 
of my thoughts. As well, when I meditate, that's the same thing. When I close my eyes and I think, it's always through pictures. And I think that's why it's a lot easier for me to explain something and understand something when it is through a metaphor because when you're able to really picture a concept being explained, it's just a lot easier to grasp. Whereas I feel like sometimes perhaps for holistic people or neurotypical people, metaphors can be confusing because they think of it so literally. Like if you're talking about your emotions, but explaining it through baking bread, they might get confused because they're like, why are you talking about bread? How does that relate to your emotions? That doesn't make sense. But I feel like for me, being able to understand something comes in layers. Like the first layer is just understanding the concept itself. But as you get more and more familiar with the concept, you start to interpret it through your own lens, which comes out through your own metaphors and through your own visualizations. And that's a lot of the times how I like to intellectualize things and conceptualize things. So going down this list, where I really see a lot of overlapping with ADHD and autism is the stimulation aspect of these two disorders. I feel like with my ADHD and with my autism, I'm very, very easily overstimulated. And I wrote those two things down as my first symptoms that I thought about. I get overstimulated by sounds. I get overstimulated by busy environments and too many people. I feel like the too many people aspect of it, like the social anxiety aspect of being overstimulated, I think comes mostly from my autism. But I think as well, a part of social anxiety is being overstimulated by all the sounds, all the conversations, all the people that you're watching, things like that. I also want to emphasize that being overstimulated doesn't always have to be a bad experience because I have friends with just ADHD and no autism and I've seen them socialize and I could see when they get really overstimulated because they're just talking to a billion people at once. But when I speak to them about it, it seems like they really feel fulfilled out of it and they thrive off of it. One of my best friends has ADHD and he says that when he's in an environment that's really busy and there's so many people and he's overstimulated essentially, he actually gets an energetic kick from that and he feels really good and he's just ready to go. But for me, because of my autism coinciding with my ADHD, when I'm overstimulated and I feel feel like it's hard for me to understand and interpret all these different types of people and and social interactions. It's just a lot for me to process. And I think that's why for me specifically, I get really anxious and I want to retreat from being overstimulated in social situations in comparison to like, for example, someone that is extroverted and has just ADHD. That was one of my symptoms as well. I have really bad social anxiety. I think a lot of that has to do with autism, but also a lot of it could have to do with the ADHD as well, because I know a lot of people with ADHD have rejection sensitivity disorder. For me, my social anxiety comes from, I feel like mostly my autism, but it's interesting that I wrote it as an ADHD symptom, but hindsight 2020, I now know it it primarily comes from my autism because I need to be able to predict who I'm talking to, how I need to talk to them, how I need to look, how I need to sound, also what type of conversations I need to have. 
I also need to, you know, go over like a general script in my mind, know how the social exchange is going to go generally and be ready for that. And also leave room for changes as well, like being able to adjust on the spot to a change that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. I think this is why social interactions, although could be very fulfilling for me, is always a source of anxiety because I can never just casually flow into a social interaction. It's always something I need to be conscious of. If I could think about it in a metaphor, I feel like social interactions for neurotypical people could feel like driving a manual car, but for neurodivergent people, social interactions could be like driving a stick shift. And it's not that neurodivergent people can't have good, easy social interactions. It's the fact that you have to be very conscious of every little thing when you're driving and everything takes a lot of awareness and conscious thinking. It's not just something you could turn off and not think about and just like have a social interaction. It's something that you're consciously always aware of, like how your body is moving, what your tone of voice sounds like, things like that. Also paying attention to the other person's facial expressions, how they're reacting to you, you know, being hyper aware of that as well. Another ADHD trait is that I get distracted during conversations. I think this is more so an ADHD trait rather than autistic trait because... I feel like my autism is very good at focusing and almost like hyper focusing whereas my ADHD side of me is always getting distracted and is always looking for ways to stimulate my mind a part of getting distracted during conversations is also the executive dysfunction I feel like with autism when you know you want to say something you could really hold on to that thought and hours can pass and you'll still be able to say that thought my friend and I always joke about it like it's a voice recording like when someone presses pause on what you're saying you could stop and listen to them but once they stop talking you just start from where you left off like literally the word that you left off on and continue what you have to say and this is a skill set I had to teach myself as well that I still maintain when I am not taking my medication I get really really distracted during conversations it's like I have to say what I'm thinking in the moment which comes across to the other person as like interrupting them and always needing to like jump in and say your two cents which could be really frustrating, I understand. But from the ADHD point of view, it's not from malice. It's not from needing attention. It's literally just an objective thing. Like if I don't say what's on my mind now, I will literally forget about it and not know how to pick up on this thought or like bring it back. I've come to notice that with my conversational type of style, I don't like to interrupt people. So before I was diagnosed and treated for the ADHD, I noticed that what I would do a lot of the times is while someone is talking, I will want to say something, but I will hold back on it for the sake of being courteous to them and I'll let them finish. But when they do finish, I'll completely forget about what I wanted to say. And so the conversation becomes unbalanced because I have nothing to offer within the conversation. And then it just becomes me in the listening position, essentially. And I feel like a lot of the times people with ADHD might experience this imbalance during conversations. You're either not talking enough because you keep constantly forgetting what you're wanting to say, or you're talking too much and you're constantly kind of interrupting the other person to say your thought immediately when you think it. And a lot of the times as well, a part of that is like you have a hard time stopping a thought and letting someone else say their two cents as well because 
you're scared of like losing your train of thought. So it's like you have to finish your complete thought when you're thinking it and talking about it out loud. And that could kind of seem like to another person that you're taking up all the space and the conversational is very one-sided and the other person can feel like you're just taking up all the attention and they're the ones who have to listen to you. I personally have experienced this with my best friend as well, my best friend who only has ADHD. When I'm having a conversation with him, a lot of the times, and I know this isn't from like a bad place coming from him. I know it's an ADHD executive dysfunction thing. But a lot of the times when I talk to him, he could literally talk for 30 minutes and just like go on and on about a certain thought. And as soon as that thought finishes, he'll flow into another thought that will take another like five to 10 minutes. And there's no room for me to like come in and say what I have to say. And sometimes when I am able to do that, I'll say like one sentence and immediately that'll light something up in his own head. And he'll go on about that thought for like another 10 minutes. And if I try to you know, join in on the conversation and say something like add an antidote, antidote, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, He'll, you know, tell me like, you're interrupting me, like, let me finish talking. And, you know, that I feel like that's just very much so an ADHD trait, like having issues with like the flow of conversation, if that makes sense. And I've seen it as well in other individuals with ADHD because I do watch a few podcasts with individuals with ADHD and I notice that the flow of conversation is just a little bit choppy and unbalanced. Okay, so another ADHD trait that is also conversational is that I'll ask a question and when someone is about to answer my question, I'll ask another question because I thought about another question. So that's again like an interrupting type of behavior pattern or I'll ask a question and while someone is answering, I'll like completely get sidetracked and make a comment about another thing within the environment. I feel like that's just a part of, you know, getting distracted, right? That's why I feel like the trait that I read on this website that says that people with ADHD have trouble multitasking. I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like there's a lot of nuance there. I feel like a lot of the times people with ADHD actually thrive on multitasking because our attention likes to go back and forth between multiple things. And I feel like people with ADHD is almost really, really good at that. And I could be totally wrong here, but again, you'll start to see it's very black and white with these disorders. I feel as if people with ADHD are either really good at multitasking and hyper-focusing, and there's rarely an in-between of that distribution of focus which is one of my main categories focus I feel like a lot of the times with neurodivergency you're really good at both things and you go back and forth between multitasking and hyper focusing but there's rarely that in between where I feel like a lot of neurotypical people operate at I feel like with autism we're not as good at multitasking I feel like we're really really good at hyper focusing so there's that difference and overlap there. Um, I feel like ASD is very good at hyper-focusing. ADHD can also hyper-focus, but I feel like with ADHD, we have more of an ability to multitask. So before I got treated for my ADHD, I was working a lot of jobs that required multitasking. And for me, I liked that. I liked being able to flow in and out of like five different tasks at once. 
and I had a hard time sitting down and concentrating on one thing unless I completely, completely loved it, which is also one of my traits here, hyper-focus. Before my ADHD was treated, my ADHD side came out more than my autistic side. And once I was treated for the ADHD, the ADHD went back down to baseline. And so my autistic symptoms were now highlighted. So before getting treated for ADHD, I was more of a multitasker and sometimes went into hyper-focus on very specific things. But once I was treated for the ADHD, now I only hyper-focus. And I work along that schedule of just hyper-focusing on something for a few hours and then jumping into another task to hyper-focus, which kind of goes into another trait, another really black and white symptom of neurodivergency. And this could be a superpower if you know how to hone in on it, is the fact that we become really, really good at something that we're really interested in. And I think a lot of it has to do with the hyper-focus. Throughout my life, whether I was treated or not treated, I was always really, really bad at things I was not interested in, which was majority of the things we were learning about throughout childhood, right? I always did really poorly in school. Even if I tried really, really hard, I would still do poorly. I remember many, many days where I would just bang my head over trying to understand math and I just could not understand math on top of other activities that required sitting down and studying. And I think that's a part of the ADHD is like not being able to sit down and study and learn about something that you're completely not interested in, but being able to completely hyper-focus on a specific thing that you are interested in. And I think that's a really, really big distinguisher as to learning about whether or not you're neurodivergent. It's not just you have trouble focusing and learning about something, but it's the fact that you hyper-focus on something that you're interested in. So for example, if I love a movie, I could watch it repeatedly over and over and over again. I'll never get sick of it. And I will actually hyper-focus on that particular movie. I have to research the background of all the actors. I have to watch all of these clips of how the movie was made, the behind the scenes, you know, the special effects makeup, the set design, stuff like that. And it's, it's not just the fact that I watch a movie and I enjoy it and I move on from it. Maybe like a year or two from then, I'll watch it again. It's like, no, I'll watch it every month. And then I'll also have to do all this research on it. And so like, that's an example of that hyper-focus. Whereas when I'm not interested in something, I completely cannot do it. And even if I tried to partake in it, I just cannot. It's like this really strong aversion to it and this inability to like process something that I'm not interested in. Again, very black and white. Whereas I feel like neurotypical people, even if they don't like something, even if they're not interested in something, they could still learn about it, understand it, partake in it. But I feel like because of my neurodivergency, I either am completely sucked into something or I'm just completely disinterested. Okay, so a very, very interesting trait that I also want to talk about is the concept of having ADHD and autism at the same time. Because there is many moments within my symptoms where because the traits are so opposite, I felt like there's two sides of me that was always fighting each other. I think this is the interesting part because there's a lot of ADHD symptoms that are complete opposites of autistic symptoms. For example, with ADHD, like you want to have impulsiveness, you want to have change, you want to be able to get distracted and move from one thing to another really fast. But with autism, 
you you have a hard time with change you want consistency you want to be able to predict things you want to be able to know how things are gonna work and work out and you just want to be stable. ADHD is like air and fire, very unpredictable, ever-changing, and I feel like autism is like earth, very stable, very grounded and predictable. And so there's like these two sides of me that was always fighting over each other, especially when I wasn't diagnosed and treated. It was a constant battle. And I feel like that is a big reason why I was so anxious all the time because I felt like my autistic side was constantly trying to parent and take care of my ADHD side because it knew that this ADHD aspect of me was disorganized, had issues with a lot of executive dysfunction and it was trying to bring some stability and organization into her life. And a lot of that came up with my anxiety around time. So this is one of my symptoms is time gives me a lot of anxiety. Knowing when I have to do something, knowing when I have to be somewhere, knowing how long something's gonna take. I became so neurotic about time because I knew that if I wasn't on top of it, it could just completely slip my mind and I could completely just lose track of everything in my life if I wasn't constantly like so strict about my time. So for example, I didn't know if there's gonna be traffic on the way to work. I don't know if something was gonna happen to my car and it would break down. So I always gave myself an extra 30 minutes to be early to work in case an emergency would happen. So I would account for the emergency. And if there was no emergency and I got there and there was 30 minutes of free time, I would just, you know, sit there and relax and stim, wait until work started and I could go into work on time. I was just so neurotic about constantly needing to be early and exactly on time. I'm rarely ever late for something. I don't think I'm ever late for something. Usually when I know I'm gonna be late for something, I like contact the person right away and I let them know. And usually I'm not even late to the thing. It's just the fear of being late. And that kind of bleeds into one of my traits that also has two coinciding overlapping symptoms. And that is the fact that commitment and responsibility terrifies me. I feel like this anxiety around commitment is very, very prevalent in people who have ADHD and autism at the same time because of what I just stated in my last trait. I feel like my autism side is very, very cognizant and aware that my ADHD side is very, very inconsistent and not reliable. And so before I was treated for my ADHD, I felt like commitments were so terrifying to me because I can never predict whether or not I would be able to live up to that commitment when that time came around. And this could be like something big in life or it could be something as small as hanging out with a friend. If I wanted to hang out with a friend on a certain day and we plan to hang out like four days later, that commitment would give me anxiety because I don't know if four days later I would still want to hang out with that person. So it was really hard for me to make a commitment because I, I hold commitments so importantly. My autistic side thinks commitments are so important and you have to be able to commit to something when you say you are. And so that led to me not making many commitments to anything or anyone because if I am not 100% sure I'm able to commit to something or someone, I will not commit. I don't want that responsibility. I don't want to let someone down. I don't want to be that person that is not able to live up to something that I promised to someone or myself or, or something. And so 
I feel like that really intense anxiety around commitment and the fear of commitment is very, very prevalent for people who do have ADHD and autism, but also just ADHD as well. You know, that kind of goes into my next trait. I wrote down, I either have no organization or I'm too organized. Very, very interesting that I wrote that. That is literally no organization, my ADHD side, or too organized, my autistic side, trying to make up for the ADHD side. And I wrote down a lot of like getting distracted. So before I got treated for my ADHD, I will literally start a task and then one fourth into starting a task, I will start another task. And then one fourth into starting that task, I'll start another task. This could be with work. This could also be with taking in content. So if I'm just like relaxing and watching a video, I'll literally be two minutes into the video, I'll stop it and I'll start another video. And by the time I'm done, I'll have like 10 tabs open and 10 different videos that I started, but didn't finish any of them. I also wrote down that I get midday fatigue. I feel like I have to take naps in the middle of the day. I get really tired physically and mentally. And I feel like that is due to the fact of having ADHD and autism at the same time. When you're constantly being overstimulated, like physically, but also constantly needing to think about things mentally because of the autism, like trying to interpret people, interaction, all that stuff. Your mind is thinking like three times faster than normal people. You could see why someone would feel so exhausted and tired by that. A lot of the times when I'm, especially like around other people, whether that's traveling, whether that's hanging out with family or friends, I'll notice that people will have a pretty consistent energetic level throughout the day and they could kind of like go on the whole day and not get tired. But for me, I notice that I'll get completely fatigued and exhausted in the middle of the day. And it's like a really, really bad fatigue. Like I literally feel like I cannot go on with the rest of the day. Like I need to go take a nap. I need to retreat and like be alone. Hindsight 2020, now I know it's because I'm reaching burnout and I need to retreat and completely like get rid of all the sensory inputs and be able to just like sit in silence and, and stim and just like allow my energetic levels to like go back up. Another really silly trait is how much I love TikTok. So this is really, really interesting because before I got treated for my ADHD, I was in love with TikTok because it was so fast. Every video was only like a few seconds, if not like a minute long. It was easy for me to consume and understand. I could literally spend hours on TikTok. Whereas after I was diagnosed and treated for my ADHD, now my autistic side can come out more. Now my focus is a lot better and I haven't spent time on TikTok as much. I'm more into listening to podcasts, so longer form content. That's like something relatable that I think a lot of you guys can understand. With like content consumption, with my autism, I could literally sit for hours listening to the same thing and doing the same activity and hyper-focus. But with my ADHD, I needed to constantly just be scrolling through different things all the time. That's why it's also like so hard for people who have both ASD and ADHD to know that they have both because these specific symptoms are so different that you could easily use one to discount the other and say like, there's no way I could have autism because I am constantly getting distracted and need changes and stuff like that. So for those of you out there who may think you have both, I would say go get diagnosed for your ADHD first, 
one, it's easier, two, there's treatment for it. And once you start to get treated for it, perhaps you'll start to get to understand and know your autistic side more because that's what happened for me. So another very, very unique and interesting trait that I have in my neurodivergency is I need to have everything out all the time. I cannot put things away in a drawer, a closet. I don't like closing the door on things. I don't like not being able to see things. As you can see with my shelf behind me, this is a really good example. I don't like being able to like put things away because I can't see it. Part of the ADHD is you have issues with object permanency. So when you can't see something, you forget that you even have it. You forget that it's even there. So it's really important to me to be able to have everything out in the open within my house because I could constantly see it and know that it's there. It's like constantly reminding me of what is there and what's not there. Before I learned this trait of myself, I had everything put away in drawers and closets, behind closed doors and everything like how most people are. And I was constantly living in anxiety within my own home because I just didn't know where anything is and I don't wanna go looking for it. So once I started to get rid of my drawers and actually have like open shelves clothing racks so that I could hang my clothes up on there and be able to see it. I don't use my closet for my clothes. My anxiety significantly reduced because I could constantly see everything. I, I don't lose things anymore. I could immediately know where something is and be able to find it when I need it. And also this applies to windows. I know this is something very specific and I'm curious to know if any of you are particular about your windows, but I do not like blinds. I just do not like how there's all these lines covering your window. It makes me feel like I'm in prison. I can't see outside. I can't see the sky. I can't see anything going on because there's all these like visual blockers, right? And so in my living environment, I have to like get rid of all the blinds in my windows and I have to like put a sheer curtain so that it could diffuse the light, but I could also see outside immediately and it's just very open. The ADHD object permanency doesn't like having things put away, but also with the autism, like sensory wise, I like having everything out in the open. It's just very comforting to me. It's very soothing. And that's like a very specific preference that I have. I don't want to compromise on that specific preference that is part of the autism like these very specific things that you're particular about and it has to be that way so the other neurodivergent trait is the body focus repetitive behavior I think this is very very common for neurodivergent people especially women because if you think about it we learn to not allow ourselves to stim and I think over time it takes a toll on you and it comes out in other ways so for me because I spent years repressing my stim and trying to keep as still as possible, I started to develop these body-focused repetitive behaviors. So biting my lip, picking my hair, trickle telemania, picking at scabs. And this isn't just like random here and there, it's compulsive, like I can't control it sometimes. Do it in moments and in places that is not appropriate. For example, in a classroom, in an airplane, I'll literally be picking my hair. I could be sitting in a restaurant picking my hair, things like that. I have scars on my body because I'm constantly picking my scab until scar tissue forms. At one point in my life, I picked out all my eyelashes, all my eyebrow hairs. I've bitten my lips until it was bleeding. I've literally done so many things to my body that is very like obsessive and compulsive. And that was like a way to kind of like manage my anxiety, but also like stim. Another way I repress my stims is by balling my hands up into fists. 
So sometimes when I'm sitting there and I'm really just like trying not to like move, I'm trying not to stim, I'm, not, I'm trying not to do the body focus repetitive behavior, I will literally sit there with my fists like this. And I'll notice it because there's times where I'll literally be relaxed and casual sitting there and my body seems to be relaxed, right? But I'll notice that my fists are super tense like this. And it's just like, now that I brought awareness into it, I understand that that's my way of keeping myself from stimming and keeping myself as still as possible. Another way I repress my stims is by sitting on my hands. I'll literally sit on my hands or I'll lean on my hands. So I'll lay back on my hands or I'll literally put my hands underneath my thighs and I'll sit on them. That is also a very like unique trait that a lot of people don't really talk about. What it looks like when you are someone who represses your stims. But yes, that is the main chunk of all of my symptoms and I hopefully highlighted really clearly the similarities and differences between ADHD and autism. Let me know if any of you guys related to any of these symptoms. And if you are a neurodivergent individual, I do have a neurodivergent program for my one-on-one -on -one coaching. I already have a couple autistic and or ADHD individuals that I work with at the moment. And this is something I really love doing. So if you already struggle with your neurodivergency or if you want to explore your neurodivergency more and you need help being guided in that journey, discovering it, also seeking a diagnosis, go on my website, look over my programs and don't be afraid to reach out to me. Email me with any questions that you have. And if you're really, really serious about it, we could go ahead and schedule a consultation and see if my services is something that you would be interested in and benefit from. Maybe we could work together. I must say, I love, love, love working with neurodivergent people, especially autistic individuals, because there's just so much resonance there. So many things that you don't have to go into detail about explaining because we just understand. And I love being able to help those with ASD overcome very specific issues, be able to live a life that is more comfortable for them and fulfilling for them. But yeah, I hope today's video was helpful for you guys. If it was, please give it a like. It really, really helps me out a lot. I'm super small channel. So any sort of interaction is very much so appreciated. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to my channel. I make new videos every week. I will see you guys on next week's video. Bye guys.